0: Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? We're here for another week, another week older, another week wiser, perhaps a little bit more experienced. I've levelled up. I've, I've spent a feat since last week, Gaz. I'm on improved Baz now. How about yourself?
1: Oh, that sounds excellent.
0: I've been, I've got more skills, I think. I've been given more things to do at work, yeah. so I must have skilled up. You You probably had to, like, you know, resolve a bond or something. Uh, behind the scenes maybe the, maybe your GM cohorts have been like putting ticks in boxes and then all of a sudden you could do something you couldn't do 10 minutes ago isn't that weird that's certainly what management think I don't know whether it's actually worked or not <laughs> so <laughs> let's get stuck into the actual subject so we, we were going to talk about experience aren't we yes. experience points experience in games advancement levelling up which is um, well it's, it's it's everywhere isn't it I mean levelling up as a quote or as an expression, is absolutely everywhere. And it must have started with D&D, but you see it in every type of game, um, and, and just in normal conversation now as well. So uh, so yeah, let, let's get stuck into that then, guys, because we did character generation last week, didn't we? So what happens uh, a couple of sessions after that when all of a sudden you want more abilities? Um, what, what, what have you got? What's your experience of experience?
1: Well, levelling up, yeah, you're quite right. It was the very first thing. When I was a young lad and you levelled up, it was quite exciting. You got more points in stuff. So you got experience for killing monsters, not necessarily taking this stuff in in the first instance, but killing things got you XP. And then all of a sudden, ping, you, you was twice as tough to kill. You found another spell somewhere, or all kinds of things wonderful happened, and that seemed great. Uh, then I played AD&D, and it got a bit weirder, And that you picked up a really expensive gold crown. All of a sudden, you went up two levels and learned loads of spells and were a lot harder to kill, and that didn't seem to make any sense. But there have been all kinds of manner of systems since then. Uh, and I do like it I'm going to put that straight out of there I like advancement and levelling up oh really yeah yeah oh,
0: you're going early on your opinion on yeah, this yeah not
1: necessarily levelling up I like a more uh, progressive system where you kind of chip away at it or a bit at a time things go on rather than just a big bang all of a sudden there's a ping in the air and you know I've levelled up but I do like that kind of advancement and didn't get on with to, since it was sticking in the 90s or even before then actually the old traveller where you couldn't get new skills you kind of had to you had to lose skills in something else to gain them in a new thing. And you can only maintain the maximum number of points. Uh, it stayed at a level, if you know what I mean. And I found that really odd in one of the older Traveller systems. I didn't like it at all. I always liked the idea yeah. of continually improving. I mean, I suppose we can always get into aging systems later where, where you got to carry to a certain age and then they got worse and all the stats started dropping. That was very upsetting for me. But, yeah, initially certainly in the early games, it was all about getting XP for stuff so you got better so you could fight bigger things and take their stuff so you got more experience points so you could fight even bigger things <laughs> mm. and it's just mm-hmm. kind of, it felt a little bit like Sisyphus which I saw a great cartoon for recently with this guy having to push the rock up the hill egged on by his demon and getting more and more depressed until the demon set up a, a number counter so it went up by one every time he rolled the hill <laughs> and then, <laughs> then every time they reached a big milestone like a million, they both cheered and high-fived each other uh, and that sometimes feels a little bit like what D and D was about. Is that your early experience too?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I quite liked it back in the day because I'll, I'll put my opinion out in a straight away. I am not a fan, <laughs> but, um, but I, de- but I definitely used to be. Yeah, definitely. Because one of the things I used to really like about experience when I was um, when I was a wee bear and playing AD and D, same as yourself, was just how ridiculously big the numbers got. I did, the idea of having like 125,000 XP written on my character sheet because you start with <laughs> zero, <laughs> and, and you quickly find out that a kobold is worth what no more than five. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of the really good bits about the game. I thought, oh, this is long haul stuff, and the idea of something that sophisticated that I could play for years was was really really appealing. Uh, and moving up through levels was was tough then as well because you could you could die very very readily. I don't think I ever did a D and D character beyond about level seven, maybe eight or nine at the very most. Properly, I mean. All right. Just didn't really happen. I don't think so, anyway. Because we we just want to start something new, and it was always a bit more fun to start than to finish something so you know if I, I, it's not that you got bored with what you were doing but if you've been playing like a bard for more than a few levels well the rest of the party would kill you but anyway mm. i'll pick a better example if you're playing a paladin for a, no no i'll pick a better example if you're <laughs> playing a wizard <laughs> then the chances are that you were getting more and more powerful but you just wanted to try something different so but um but like you it, it was kind of cool to to tick a box but back in early, early D&D, you didn't actually get a lot when you leveled up. Not really. Not as much as you do in more modern games now that, that are still pretty trad in that regard. You got some hit points, which was arguably the most exciting thing about it. Because you would go from like three to six or seven, which was a huge deal yeah. at an early level. Um, if you weren't playing a magic using class, you didn't really get much. Thieves will get a few points in skills, but not enough to make a, a noticeable difference, I don't think. Um, you, no there wasn't a huge amount to it but it still felt like a big difference uh, and I think some of that might have been because I played a lot of pre-published modules and I, and I had like stuff like uh, Ravenloft sitting on the shelf and, and for the life of me and now I can't remember what levels you're supposed to be to play it but I knew I wasn't and I needed to graduate to get to that level uh, and I never played Tomb of Horrors for example because I never got a character high enough level and then I was never going to be stupid enough to put it in the Tomb of Horrors anyway <laughs> So, I quite liked it back then. A little bit of box ticking, a little bit of, of math. People still complain about bookkeeping. You can't really call it bookkeeping, can you? It's adding one number to another. But when the DM divvied up experience at the end of the night, that felt like not just experience points, but victory points. Mm. So, if you if you got more than the other players around the table, you could feel a bit smug about that. Uh, and if you, if you got enough for some of you to level up and other ones not to... That that was kind of cool, even if you, even if you weren't the one who leveled, because back then there was there wasn't an expectation that everybody everybody be at exactly the same level, because a thief's XP progression was much easier than a cleric's, for example. Yeah. So over over time, you would have like level six thieves and level four clerics. And my maths might be slightly wrong, or my memory might be slightly wrong, but but that was fine. And and the fact that those little pings and dings happened at different times for different people. I think it made the game seem more sophisticated than it was. Yeah. Uh, the scales are falling <laughs> from my eyes now, though.
1: Yeah, I think that the best bit about it is you've got a different title, didn't you? You went from a footpad to a cup purse or whatever it was and that kind of thing. Yeah. That made it more interesting. Uh, one of the ways I found that that kind of uh, adding bits of XP up and making it a bit more interesting, even though it didn't have, again, a massive effect, is in Pendragon. You get glory for all kinds mm-hmm. of things. So that's, they've dressed XP up as glory, which is quite nice. It's very thematic. Uh, you only get like a plus one to something or you know, you don't really get a lot for every thousand glory but as you're getting your glory for uh, marrying an impressive uh, lady or for slaying a dragon or for doing something else noteworthy, you put a little line on the back of your sheet or on a spare sheet with you know the date and the glory you got for it and what you did and at first it seems like a uh. bit of a why do I bother writing this down but after you've played you know, a dozen sessions and you look back at all the things you've had glory for, you've got a full side of A4 of all these like great deeds that your knight's done. You've got a nice little story and background of your knight and everything that he's achieved and done. So that was a nice little conceit. I like that. Um, then there's, I suppose, the other older games, things like Cthulhu or RuneQuest, introduced stuff where you got a, a tick in a box, didn't you? So you had a skill. And if you successfully yeah. used it once in your adventure, then you ticked a box and it meant you got to make a skill roll later on and your skill might improve mm-hmm. and the better your skill was the less chance there was you'd actually achieve it so you had to kind of like fail a role in that skill to then improve it but that led to some odd behaviour as well I seem to recall like uh, good old Cthulhu had uh, kick and punch and headbutt and that kind of stuff so you get players in mm-hmm. fights with cultists and instead of doing whatever seems dramatically appropriate like trying to trip them up with a kick uh, they'd already got a kick ticked off in their experience set so they tried try and headbutt them and they'd be running around trying to headbutt this monk or whatever for god knows how many rounds because they wanted to get their headbutt percentage up and obviously you know you can play in a better way than that but when we were younger i think that was just the thing you did it became a it really was literally a box ticking exercise of trying to find things to tick boxes in so you get more xp and it seemed very odd that you could for example uh, research the hell out of a library every single session but unless you had a level up phase then you'd, never, you'd only get that one chance of getting better at researching in libraries it's just like once you had done something once you had a chance of being better at it but no matter how many times you did it between this arbitrary point it didn't improve those chances or make you any better at it so it was a nice little thing in that you got to tick a box and clear a box in as obviously we've said we enjoy that but in terms of
0: seeming realistic realistic or functional
1: a bit odd really yeah
0: I, I had exactly the same experience mate um i remember physically enjoying ticking the box but it soon fell away really i mean it just didn't survive actual gameplay one of those things that probably looks better on the page in the rulebook book than it does actually around the table because skills don't get rolled with any kind of stable frequency so you know as soon as you have any kind of combat even in a, a system like call of cthulhu you're probably rolling i don't know 10 combat skills over the course of 10 rounds um, but you're probably only ever rolling used vehicle once. Yeah. So you can't become a master driver or anything else like that. And, and your perception check is, is typically the first thing you roll in any yeah, adventure yeah. or any session, but it's kind of rarely used after that. And it just it does the frequency thing just didn't really work. And. And, uh, f- but for me that that comes from the from you know the the grand sin of gaming which is skill systems which I tried to convince you of last week but, <laughs> but but this is the kind of behavior skill systems encourage you see if you've got a bunch of skills with numbers next to them i don't think it's unreasonable to want to see them increase over time and definitely in the modern age video games do exactly that don't they it's it's normally kind of hidden behind the interface but you've got a a big list of things you can do with numbers next to them and it gets better through time, practice or whatever the system is so yeah it it did seem kind of cool but I think this was just one of those things that I wonder if if D&D hadn't included it in the initial game and role playing had come along anyway I wonder if experience or advancement would be in any game by default because there are some brand new games which are trying to kind of reinvent role playing I mean I take sort of Fate Core mm. as an example that, that's written as if no other games existed I quite like its tone for that reason yeah. and Advancement is kind of in there but it's, it's I think perhaps what would have happened if D&D hadn't invented it in that it's kind of there if you want to have it but it certainly isn't core to the experience and pardon the expression but, but all of the original games it was very core and it carried on for decades before anybody tried to do anything really innovative with it, like you know, dispose of it, for example, or or think of a completely different way of handling it. What do you reckon? Do you think it's just a legacy?
1: Yeah, very, very probably. Actually, I think it's just uh, kind of role playing games come from war games, really. Don't they? And that kind of thing. That's the the, mm. the history behind it. So they've always been written or were written with an idea about a game involved and what a game was. Uh, and progression seems I don't know I, I still like the progression element but yeah I think you're right I think stuff like fakes written work for characters at the top of their game and they stay that way uh, and that's mm. possibly a reason why I don't really like fake because you don't get any change in terms of mechanics necessarily you can swap traits in and out and that sort of thing but mm. you don't get any better in inverted commas even though as we've sort, of, no. sort of mentioned like Sisyphus you know even in D&D you just fight bigger monsters you're, you're still as likely to die at first level as you are Tenth level, it'll just take longer, that's all. Um, But Mm. I do like the idea of getting better, so I don't really like the fake thing, but I think you're right, it probably comes from the fact that the the granddaddy of them all had experience, so everybody else feels like you have to. Much the same in the way a lot of games have, combat chapters and all the rest of it, and encumbrance and other little things that are just Mm. always there, because that's what the first game had, so that's how a lot of people do it. I know the GURPS uh, GURPS Discworld, is it? I think it was in the end, I don't know why GURPS, but a Discworld book only got written eventually by Phil Masters, I think it was, because he was the first person who didn't say to the license holders, "This is what my combat chapter looks like," because he just went for it uh. based on the spirit of the game. I mean, ironically, it's, it's Gerbs, which is one of the most tedious, mechanically intensive games <laughs> around. <laughs> but you have to strip a lot of that out, and, and you, you you know you can use it, but. Um, yeah, there did come a point when people started looking at the games and saying, what do I want to achieve, rather than, this is the template for how role-playing games are. Oh, so I need to do that first, and then I'll have my bits on afterwards.
0: Because it's right, but it's weird. If if you just look at the, the early games in isolation, you think, "What what's it trying to simulate here, given, given the roots of the hobby? You've mentioned wargaming, which it absolutely came from. There's not a whole bunch of experience stuff in wargaming, to my knowledge, and I do a fair amount of wargaming. You get a bit of it in sort of skirmish games, um, but I, I don't I don't really know why the experience thing is in there. And then it, then you look at maybe I don't know the novels that the original gaming came from because I don't think it was so much based around movies then. Um, and you don't see that much zero to hero stuff, do you? Certainly not in the short stories. I think maybe maybe there's a case for sure, Conan where we yeah. look at sort of his career. Yeah, possibly that from from an adventurer and a thief all the way up to a king and a conqueror. So I kind of get that. But that's but that's one thing. Um, Elric stories, there's a progression in there, but it certainly isn't a progression from him going from goblins to dragons in caves. No. So I think it's kind of strange that it's in there. I, d- I don't mind it that much. Listen, zero to hero gaming is fine for me. I just tend to use it as a bit of a sliding scale that I start um, start a campaign with. You can start at level 18 if I want Mm. to, I just pick the starting point and it moves forward from there. Um, But I I think it is a weird thing and I think that's why some of the the new, more modern games that have tried to rebuild and reimagine what role-playing would look like if it started in the 21st century. It's it's one of the things that goes, certainly in indie gaming, isn't it? There doesn't seem to be much advancement in those games.
1: No, and they tend to be quite discreet and written for not necessarily one shot but a short play of say a campaign six sessions whereas in the old day a campaign mm. could last year, is that kind of thing. I think potentially yeah. I don't know, I'll try this one for size maybe they had the experience of levelling up and getting more powers as you went along as a way of uh, getting people into the game and used to all the stuff that their characters could do I don't know, like you say, fighters are pretty much the same from one level to another but if you chuck someone a high level wizard straight away and goes, here's a massive list of spells, get on with it, it'd be a real struggle but you start them out with
0: one spell and work it up it's a lot easier to manage and people get to work it out, I don't know I, No, I think that's legit, I think there's tutorial levels, even now in 5th in edition d d they use levels 1 and 2 as tutorial levels, level 3 is where it really starts and, and, I, and I've played loads of games where I've tried to drop a 15th level character sheet in front of someone at a con uh, and it's difficult it is just difficult. So there's definitely a feeling that it, as you gradually level up in those kind of quite complex games, it, it doesn't get any harder. It's just a couple of choices to be made at uh, relatively frequent intervals. Uh, and that does make the game easier to swallow. Um, but then you've got games like, uh, whew, well we'll go with Savage World, shall we? Because that's got an advancement system that's very loosely modeled on zero to hero, I think, with much bigger sort of chunks and and I think it's probably a better experience system and I'm fairly sure you're going to agree yeah. with that but even in those games you, you kind of want to start at season don't mm. you which is what the I don't know what would that be in D&D 5th level if it goes up to 20 something like that uh, maybe maybe 4th actually or even 3rd I think mm. Yeah, it depends like some people
1: disagree but I think the majority of people I've spoken to now tend to agree with me that if you start at novice you haven't quite got enough stuff certainly for a convention game if you want to carve out a distinctive character who's got some roundedness, you need to start mm. at seasoned to, to have it just enough points in things to make your character effective at the table. Uh, so yeah, Savage just feel a little bit that way to me anyway. That novice level characters straight out of the box aren't really that good, so you need to get your first mm. four or five advances before they start to feel like they're just a decent, you know, pulpy character. So that might be a hangover. Maybe the the, the guys who designed the game started at too low a level, or with that. There's still that faint hangover from d d maybe, that you start out really quite poor. Not, well, not not as poor as a first-level wizard with three hit points, but you don't feel as rounded or capable enough, I don't think, at novice of savage. It's fine mm. if you're doing a decent-sized campaign. You can start out pretty rubbish and, like you say, have a couple of training missions so you get leveled up. That's fine. Just going to say it's why it's got a weird thing where you seem to level up, or you do level up every sort of 5xp you get in advance, so you can increase some skills or a start or get a new... Edge or whatever it is, and then you get to legendary, and it's every sort of ten XP rather than five, and there doesn't seem to be a reason for that. Uh, Seeing as GMS can kind of modulate how much XP they give people for doing stuff, it seems weird There's this kind of artificial ceiling where once you reach it, they halve the amount of XP you get, or it takes twice as long to get your next advance. Seems an odd
0: thing to do. That is weird. Yeah, that that is really strange, and I think you've you've kind of taken me into the the subject I was gonna talk about next which is like what do you give out experience for um because in savage it is very modulated, isn't it it's you know it might be you're going to get three at the end of this adventure or maybe you're going to get two at the end of tonight and it's usually going to be two unless we have a long session or a short session whereas in in some other games you could go back to examples like and this is maybe unfair because we're going back a ways but in rollmaster master. You would have to make calculations for experience based on every skill roll you made or every spell you cast, depending on how well or how poorly you did it, and and you would you would be totting up stuff in a little notebook mm. and coming out with eleven thousand two hundred and twenty eight at the end of a of a, of a session and, and looking over to the person on your left and saying how did you do? I, I, I don't think many games do it that way anymore. Do they? Even modern D and D, it will it will offer up XP. For, for killing monsters or for treasure or for whatever, but it's the very first thing to be along with perhaps encumbrance and maybe alignment where you just kind of like, you know, you leave that in the corner really and just get on with playing the game and say, I tell you what, it's been a couple of sessions, shall we all level up? You look around the table everyone nods and go, yeah, cool, it's time Yeah, we do it. So that's, that's weird that Savage seems to put in a, a weird little ratchet system in a game that never asked you to do that kind of bean counting at the start
1: Yeah yeah, a little bit odd. I, mean, I I tend to run it to be fair as after a recession, it was been a decent normal session. Then you all level up, and that's you know you'll go mm. up five XB. Uh, and if you want to get it to last longer, then you give two or three out, and you'll do it less often. But then why why the system itself has this gear check at a certain level? I'm not really sure. Unless that's when the designers have yeah. decided that your characters are now at a real sweet spot, and you know they're they're fully capable or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah the the other sort of weird thing with experience you sort of touched upon it there was certainly from like a white wolf point game point view you used to get like one experience point for turning up and Ravish. you know <laughs> but it did mean people didn't bother didn't get that experience point or whatever uh, uh, the, the the really weird one there was sort of several of those wasn't there um, like making outstanding contributions to role playing and stuff but then you had, you had one who you had to like give a favourite one out so you had to pick your favourite player and, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I get the feeling you're gonna have you're gonna have opinions on this one, aren't you? But that's yes that sort of thing yes. where like you're saying, you know, there there could be disparity in XP depending on what you've done or what the GM decides to give out. Yeah, it's not great, is it? What what do you think to that, that whole no. like even if it's the group themselves when the GM decides, like, pick a best player amongst you tonight, you get an extra point, well done you. Even worse. <laughs>
0: no, this is it's garbage, and and the reason I'm so I'm so sort of strongly against it now. It's like I don't know, reformed smokers or reformed reformed drinkers. It's, it's something I used to do loads and loads and loads of, and I just I just had this awakening one day. I think I probably read about it on RPG Net, and I read someone have a really visceral response to the idea of the GM giving out like a best player bonus. And it just never occurred to me that anyone would be cheesed off about that. Never occurred to me. And I don't play very often. I'm, I'm mostly a GM, which is maybe part of the issue there. But then reading through the rest of that thread as, as whoever it was, and a, and a bunch of other people sort of piled into the conversation as well, going, yeah, yeah, we definitely think it's crap. It just never occurred to me. But then when it had occurred to me, I thought, of course it is. This is absolutely ludicrous. The game we're playing is supposed to be for fun, with friends in a really social environment and then you know it's like going down the pub and picking like best drinker of the night <laughs> uh, and what did they win for their award another drink well they, you know they didn't really need much encouraging did they really it's like giving out awards for the best well who am i to say who was best anyway as gm who am i even as another player to say who was best and the reward for that is their character gets better there's all kinds of weird disconnections there that don't make any sense and it's just mental and the worst thing is When and again I've done this in the past when you try and use the mechanical system to encourage or reward behaviours from people at the table whenever I've had like uh, as an extra 100 XP for best role playing moment in the night it always went to the same fella in my group Mm. week after week after week after week it never made him try any harder and none of the other guys got any better at role playing it, 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 and if if that award wasn't there, the fellow who always won it wouldn't have tried any less. Yeah, he Because his reward at the table is the same as my reward, the same as your reward, the same as everyone's reward, is we all had a nice time. You know, that's, that's why we came in the first place. It's just mental to have those little GM dog biscuits to flick across the table to people to try and encourage them to enjoy your company more. Weird and in any other kind of social setting you would probably have to seek therapy if that was your, your way of getting friends and status I find it very odd now and I can't believe they did it for so long
1: well, I've got another one that you're probably going to have an opinion on as well so I'll throw this one out with her um, <laughs> but the, the original Savage World rules and there's several games like this like Godlike does something similar as well um, well for, for one you kind of had to roll for your experience points and if you uh, like, if you had any bennies, like your fate points, or your bennies that you had left over, that you could use for re rolls and saving your skin stuff like that. Oh yeah, and your leftover, you left know, over at the end of the session, you rolled a dice, and on a five or six, it turned into an experience point. So, so that was weird for for a couple of reasons. One is that if you hoarded them, you're not guaranteed on getting an XP anyway, so you might have just wasted them. Mm-hmm. And second, the guys that were doing the most, the people getting stuck into fights and risking life on them and having to use them to save their own neck. And burned all those because they were doing all the interesting stuff. The really boring people who didn't do anything yeah. got to hoard a lot and try and get more XP at the end. Yeah. And God likes the same in terms of use will to use your powers, but then you have to spend will to get more powers. But you know the only way to get more powers is to never use the ones you've already got.
0: They don't seem very clever either. No, that, that that's um, that's oh, that's kind of nineties design in a nutshell, isn't it, mate? I'm sure it was it Seventh Sea and Five Rings did all of that stuff as well, didn't they? Where you had to you had to spend the resource you'd just gone, And I remember reading Numenera and thinking, this is a blast from the past, because they <laughs> yeah, do something yeah. similar as well. It's like, where'd you get that from? You've got like 40 years of role-playing design to pick from. That's a curious pick. Because <laughs> cause it was garbage then, and it's garbage now, and it's, it's clearly garbage as well. I, I think if you're a, a games designer sitting in your loft and you're sort of scribbling away, it probably looks all right on paper. A little bit gamist makes sense. But one playtest would have told you that that didn't work. And I think, genuinely, I think the trouble with playtesting is that people do one-shots in playtesting and not campaigns. Mm -hmm. Um, So you you probably, the advancement system is one of those bits of the game that probably gets the least uh, rigour applied to it Mm -hmm. in testing. Um, I reckon probably people say, uh, have a go at low levels, have a go at mid-levels, have a go at the end game, but they don't do all the bits that link it up. And maybe it just got overlooked because that, that just doesn't bear scrutiny. That system at all, and many many games have done it, haven't they? And I think that's where people have tried to do something innovative with experience and use it as a currency in the game. So you might accumulate uh, karma in games like Shadowrun or even Earththorn and then cash it in to do something with it. But but you know it, it wouldn't have taken very much just to just have like a track like they do in Earththorn In fact, I think from memory, where you just have your total karma and your current karma. Yeah so just because you've spent it to get a benefit during the game doesn't mean you've brought down your overall total you can still be you know, still be looking to advance to the next circle in your mm. discipline so really easy to fix but yeah what a strange thing to want to get people to do to take no actions in your game so that they can get better so that they can take fewer actions in the next game even though they're suddenly more skilled for doing nothing <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah it doesn't make much, much sense there I here's one for you I oh, will I'll chuck out one that may, see if, see if you think this is as as <laughs> I won't say what I think about it. right you know we were talking about like here's a list of things that you'll get like best role player of the night or whoever whoever made people laugh the yeah. most. I've seen that one quite a few times. yeah, whoever like made people snort their tea out of their nose. Uh, how about people who do the most background or write the most maps or take the notes during the session? What, what do you think about awarding experience for behaviours like that? Yeah.
1: <clears throat> the only one that I've that I've seen that I think was good was in Earth Dome where you got legend points because they applied in-game as well as to experience. And if you wrote a journal physically as a player, then that also counted as the journal that your character was writing and handing it at the Grand Library of Thrall, and you got legend points for that. mm Specifically, the group would get legend points because you're writing about your your group of characters, your circle, whatever they were. Um, yeah. So that, that, I think, worked quite well, and I did enjoy it. And we ended up with loads of... much the same as I was saying about Pendragon, where you could look back on your character and what they'd done. In one of our campaigns, uh, Matt was doing a, a really good... He had the troubadour as well as a character, who's like the bard kind of character. And he'd got a great... you know This excellent wealth of information that we've got this great background of the campaign and stories all about it, all written from his point of view so everything was obviously solved by him he didn't cause any of the problems and all the rest of it which was a lie compared mm. to how the campaign went and all of the players complained and so did all the characters in game but he said well you write it then if you don't agree with the history you write it and no one else can be asked so we got his you know, write his own version and we had this great artefact but at the end of it all when we finished that particular campaign and started a new one he just said I don't want to deal with that again it's too much work and so mm. yeah I, I don't know I I I sort of, I like the idea that you, there's some kind of reward for helping the GM out in some way if you do something, but then you might as well give out XP for the guy who makes brews or brings pizza or whatever else you do you know what I mean? It's still harking back mm. to the idea that the GM's this kind of superpower and everybody else is subservient to him and he gets to hand things out in doggy biscuit fashion, how he thinks rather than the more progressivist yeah. approach we've got now of everybody mucksing together and some people put more effort in than others, as happens in all social circles for all kinds of hobbies, to be honest. There'll always be that guy who drives yeah. you to the Peak District to go for a walk and no one else will bother getting in the car and that sort of thing, you know what I
0: mean? Yeah, I mean, the experience systems are, are seen as an incentive and a reward. I think that's why they're kind of there. And I can see how they're a reward. But whenever you try and use them as an incentive, that's, that starts to get into strange behaviour, like incentivising people to do homework, yeah. basically. <laughs> and and that does become work as well, you know. When you feel like you've got to get a task done before the next game, it's fair enough if you're in a book club and you haven't read the book you're supposed to be talking about next week. That makes sense. But yeah, <laughs> but when you want to rock film. up and play an improvisational conversation game, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to do pre work for that seems a little bit bit churlish, really. I well, think
1: it just harks back to what you said that ultimately, if people want to do that kind of thing and they're good at it, then they'll do it anyway. It doesn't really matter whether you give them some XP yeah. or not. And the people who don't want to do it, you, you know, you can offer them hot, cold hard cash. And I know people who wouldn't bother. I could offer them twenty pound mm. a week, and they wouldn't even, you know, they'd intend to do it and then can't be asked.
0: You're not going to change yeah. behaviours yeah, exactly that way. No, no, not at all. So, so the other way to do it then, I suppose, ideally, is to have your. Uh, your experience systems just change the the game rather than the player, but change the situation, and I think that's where they work best. Is um, and I think I think that Pendragon stuff you talked about, I, I didn't realize that from Pendragon. I've not played enough sessions to ever do that kind of advancement thing, but that sounds really cool, and it reminds me of stuff you see again in modern games where to progress to the next level, just to use a, a basic term, you kind of have to do a little bit of a shopping list of activities so it might be that if you're a thief you've got to like cross off on the list um, you've got to complete a heist you've got to, like a, uh, you've got to seduce uh, somebody in a bar um, you've got to get involved in a scrap with your party members or whatever the list is and everyone's got like a list of like half a dozen things and as you start ticking those off so the list is kind of written in advance if you can complete those, that kind of quest mechanic then you can have the next stage of power that I think that's quite quite a neat thing. Perhaps it's not as neat as you do cool stuff, and and then we... we so basically, you'd have six lines with boxes next to it, and once you've, you've completed six cool things to be to be post-determined, that might be better, or a mix of both. Where do, where do you stand on that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, that sounds a little bit like the Beta Quarters Duty Nano kind of system, where you have a, a mission, a naval mission in Beta Quarters, or a military mission in Honor. And you'll have a series of things that happen along that. And once you've done it, you get the reward. But you know what the reward is up front. And it might be an increase in reputation or, you know, so you get some monies or whatever it is, get promotion. Uh, But you can also have personal missions. So while you're doing this big overarching thing of taking these cannon to Badajoz or whatever, you'll also introduce your thing. Like, I need to have a duel with that French captain or something. And you'll have um, Mm. between, I think, like, say, two and four scenes that it'll take for that to resolve and when it does you say if I succeed in this then I'll get X and if I fail then Y occurs and then you play it out through the course of the, the little mini campaign you are playing, and you get your reward or penalty as a result and your character changes mm. so I quite like that, that's good Um and slightly different but I do like uh, Hot War as well in terms of you'll have agendas that you have to fulfil and as soon as you've done one completed it you create another one straight away. So you might have find out what happened to my daughter. And once you get to the end of the conclusion of that, it turns out that someone's kidnapped her or something like that. So you create another uh, agenda on the back of that. sort of find, like, you know, recover my daughter from the kidnappers or whatever mm. it is. To use very simple examples. But that way the the story keeps rolling based on what's written on your character sheet is something you have to do. And as you achieve it, then your character progresses. But Hot Wars got the interesting one where you'll get more traits and things like that as you go along. But you really should, when you play it, in my opinion, try and give yourself negative traits as well. So that's something that you don't see too often in experience. Where Mm -hmm. previously, now we've been talking about you know, you get better, you get more points, you get more dice to roll, all that kind of stuff. Uh, In Hot War, you really should possibly look at giving yourself more negative traits because it makes things more interesting. You still get more dice Mm -hmm. to roll, but there's a chance of more complications coming out and that sort of thing. But you might not look at penalising opponents as you go along. You might look at penalising your own character based on their experiences or how the story's unfolding. So, that's another interesting twist mm. on things in terms of, uh, well, the first examples I give about Beta Quarters is more about predetermining your outcomes and then having stages and, and sort of rolling the dice to see what happens or flopping the cards. And then Hot Wars got this thing where you sort of slowly progress and your character morphs over time, but you shouldn't look at just necessarily making your character better in inverted commas. You should just look at making them more interesting. Which is a different take on experience yeah. altogether, really, and more well probably models what happens in real life. That we get older and wiser, arguably, but then you know you might get weaker or softer, or you get more emotionally scarred, or you get stronger at other things.
0: What do you think to that? Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can see that. That's a, that's for me. That's a question of sort of zooming in and out of things, and some of it's on a very big scale where you might have like it's a kind of like a life plan, isn't it? Where will you be in five years? What steps will you have to take to get there? Um, and, in, and in a really big campaign, it's like you know some kind of military thing. You could actually see that, and you're, you're ticking off like goals as you get towards where you're going to. And that would be a mix, won't it, of like narrative stuff where the, the campaign is unfolding, and that's its own reward. Mm. And of course, you're becoming more more veteran, literally, and, and that, that provides mechanical rewards. And then at the other end of the scale, I think I think the fate point economy in fate games is almost like an experience point system but on a really really tiny scale so if you if you act to your trouble or to your disadvantage for one of a better term so if you if you take a massive risk or do something that's really kind of against what you you might want to be doing you get yourself into trouble you kind of immediately get some experience points for that in in the form of a fate point which you can then use later on to get a benefit out of so you, you're literally learning from your mistakes or Paying for your future successes by going into overdraft now, um, and that 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 kind of smacks of those games where if you roll like a critical failure, you get an experience point because you must have learned something <laughs> when it happened, <laughs> learning from your mistakes, etc. Yeah. So, I kind I kind of do like it when when narrative stuff gets mechanical heft behind it. That's my favourite way of playing games rather than just telling stories. So, if if you did have to have like a, a list of achievements to unlock, it it would be kind of cool if 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 unlocking those things played a part with the dice or the cards or whatever the resolution system is. That happens a bit in Marvel Heroic, um, where you've got milestones for your characters to to achieve, and then you become not necessarily bigger and better as you suggest, but you do become more rounded and more more grizzled. Because I, I definitely think you are right, mate. I think you look at a starting savage character that's got what a, a major hindrance and maybe a couple of minors well someone who's like 20 years in the game in a savage game whether it be the Wild West or Vietnam or whatever is probably not going to have any fewer <laughs> hindrances arguably yeah. more but they're just it makes them a more colourful character mm-hmm. doesn't it so so that's that's kind of where I'm at these days with experience points it's not really about playing the wizard's apprentice and then becoming um, Gandalf some way down the line because I haven't got time to play those games anymore it's, it's more about just playing something that's that's got experiences and a bit of backstory that's come out through play, and is playing in a, is actually almost a different person because of their experiences. I think that's where I'm more at these days. Yeah, for
1: sure. I, I think that's that's a fair one. Um, another interesting one I just thought of, which is sort of going back backwards a little bit in the conversation, but never mind. So, podcast we can do it well. Hmm. Uh, a game called Rune. Yeah. <clears throat> Oh yeah, which was competitive yeah, weird. which had kill stealers so you, you were, the players were actively trying to steal experience points off each other so they would try and fight the bugbear or troll but only to the extent where it got within danger of dying and then they'd all sort of parry each other's blows to be the one that actually dealt the killing blow and take the experience yeah. and that sort of thing which I'm not sure yeah. to this day whether it was really just um, a satirical role playing game taking poking a little bit of fun at role players generally
0: or whether it was a serious intent or not but um, we did get a little bit of play out of that, didn't we? I, I played it quite a bit. It's, um, I, I think there's some stuff in there which is revolutionary. Uh, it got dropped uh, like fairly early on because for a very, very crunchy mechanical game, and it was in comparison to many games, it, it, it was just wrong with some of the numbers. The errata was fairly massive and it was a little bit broken. And, it, and you just can't have that with a game that's supposed to be tooled up for competitive play. Um so but one of the one of the revolutionary things in it is exactly what you just said there it's it's people would roll their dice and you would have to count how much you beat the target number by because that would give you points and and dropping the bad guy would give you bonus points and so on but the gm got points as well so the gm got experience points so every time you rolled for your monster attacks or killed a player or knocked someone unconscious the GM was racking up points too. At the end of a session, you had a winner and it, and it could be the GM or one of the players. i that bit. That's just weird. <laughs> yeah, a GM with experience points. So that goes back to our bit about the dog biscuits thing. You should have, perhaps the players should have a mechanic for giving the GM experience points. It's like, you know, if you continue to behave well, you will be able to run this game for us next week. But we'll give you more orcs to play with. <laughs> yeah,
1: I like that idea. I think like um, in, in a lot of, games, I kind of deal like there to be consequences of actions or something, so I think more than an experience boy system what I'd like to happen is based on how well the party did in a particular dungeon of a minor boss that would affect how the, the the big boss the lich somewhere else affected them or how much attention he paid and that sort of thing, so they've, they've got it to a little extent in uh, the One Ring, they've kind of got um. How much attention Sauron's paying to you? Basically, one of the supplements, and as you do certain things or become successful, then the eye pays more attention to what you're doing, or it's you know mm-hmm. more as you roll eyes, eyes of Sauron and mess it up in that kind of critical fail way. But I like having that kind of story to the game, rather like you say, rather than necessarily being down to a, a particular character. It's more about the game environment starts reacting based on what the players are doing and become movers and shakers and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. I think that stuff of stuff's really interesting now uh, whereas bizarrely the actual normal advancement and experience system in the World rings a little bit odd in that you get advancement points and experience points and they're separate and the advancement points are based on using a particular skill and there's a matrix you've kind of got body, mind and soul and you've got different approaches so you'll have Or, uh, which is mm. like really intimidate people and um, the more persuaded type of one and the 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 married ones are similarly set up it's, 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 it's odd but anyway across each line you can have up to three pips so there's a, a limit to how much experience you can get and after you've got the first one it's harder to get the second one you do something more impressive but then those those points right. can only be spent on general skills and then your experience points are separate based on who's the most exciting player or whatever and they can be spent on your weapon skills or increasing wisdom and valor and they seem to have two separate systems and the only reason I can think for it is that They want to stop people just dumping all their xp into weapon stats and making it a combat game or something so they kind of force you to have general skills and weapon skills as two separate things but i'm not sure why that is apart from like i said the only only reason i can think of is they want to as a system mechanically stop you dumping all your xp in sword or spear and make you have song and craft even though those general skills are useful in the game and have a place
0: Mm might it be a pacing thing because I, I was going to ask about speed of advancement, if if you've got advancement in your game and it's just there, it's it's kind of the next question for me would be at what speed does it go because back with the old school D&D stuff you might get through the first levels fairly rapidly but it, but the, it was exponential so I think there was an expectation that you would play a character for literally years, possibly decades and there are probably still people doing it now I don't think that's the case so much anymore. And everyone will have their own personal preference on it. And, and I wonder if, if games are transparent enough about their default setting. So, you know, I don't know the one ring, but what, what would be the game's expectation for, for how you progress in that? How much play do you have to get before you become Aragorn from Frodo, if that's how it works? Uh, yeah, quite a lot, I imagine. It does work in that kind of exponential way
1: which kind of makes mm. you want to round your character out a little bit more, I guess, in terms of the first time you put a pip in something, it costs you a point, and then the fifth time you put up it costs 17 points or something. The two scales are different as well, so the advancement points and experience mm. points have got a different scale of how many points it requires to put something up, one, and depending on what it starts at and that kind of thing, so it would take some time to get all your skills up to five dots or whatever and everything, so you kind of Mm. And the pick and choose one, and it gets harder to move your Matic skill up once you've got it at four, than it will be to put several other things mm. up to two or three. If you know what I mean, so it's got that kind of balance in it. Um, I've not played it long enough.
0: And do you notice the change? Is is there if, if you move from three to four in something? Do you feel that much more effective, or is it a tiny increment that maybe comes off one in twenty rolls or something? I think anything up to
1: three is. F- fairly weak actually because the way it works is you roll a feet die and then you roll a number of success die and you get a number of success die equal to the number Mm. of pips you've got in that skill Uh, and the way you get a good Mm. or exceptional success is to get a six on your extra dice that you're rolling so if you're only rolling one extra one along with your feet die you're only never going to get a good success you can't get an exceptional one because you need two sixes if you know what I mean Um, so the more of dice Mm. you have like that the more success dice you have the more chance you've got of getting those good and exceptional hits and because things like in combat, uh, your damage is fixed, so your sword will do say 5 points of damage and that's it and an orc might take 7 it means if you just do a regular hit, mm. you won't put an orc down it'll stay up, whereas if you've got say mm. 5 success dying something, there's a good chance you'll roll that extra 6 so you'll get to add your body dice to it and you'll have done 10 damage, so that will take an orc down as opposed to not doing so it's really about, not the sort of base level succeeding, which all comes down to your feet die, quite a lot of the time uh, it's more about getting those extra sixes for the extra special successes, and you can—they're just a lot more potent characters when you can when you roll in more d6 to get those extra successes, as well as having a better chance of actually hitting the basic target number as well, or a more difficult target number. Um, but it's not—it's hmm. not as easy to see as say a percentage-based system where you know if you've got ninety percent and someone else has got thirty percent, you're much more likely to hit them. The the kind of there's a bit of a subtlety in sure. terms of. You've got to hit a target number and then you've got to look to see how many sixes you rolled as well for how good a hit it was. You could roll a thirty-seven to hit, but that doesn't matter if there's no sixes on any of the dice. So it's a little bit of a weird one. There are several mm. systems like that where it's not immediately obvious how good you are at something, or just because you're rolling more dice doesn't
0: necessarily mean you're gonna do something better. Yeah, absolutely. Like especially in those roll and keep games from the nineties, yeah. which were yeah, and there's always math underneath it, and if you want to dig around in it, you can find out what's going on. But for me, it's, it's it's much about feel, isn't mm. it? Do you feel more potent for having invested some of your time in a, in a skill or an ability or whatever? I think that's why you know D anD D third edition with its massive books of feats felt like such a reward for players. There's a reason why it was popular because you could you could take something that you never had before, and as we spoke about last week in, in character generation, your, your GM probably didn't let you even attempt it until until you got it and to. add a a new ability onto your sheet onto what was previously a blank line always feels like a bit of a thrill Mm. doesn't it still to this day more than I I think more than putting like you know bow from three to four (laughs) putting down you know (laughs) something different even if it is just like a contact yeah you know which is Which is, I'm I'm kind of leery that a game's experience system should give you stuff like that because maybe that, ideally, that would just come out in play. But writing down a contact you can rely on in a cyberpunk game is a is a cool thing Mm -hmm. to have. So I like that kind of stuff. So for me, yeah, the question is about speed because I was thinking about uh, Thirteenth Age, which is a a new take on the most classic of uh, of role playing game adventure tropes, I suppose. So it's it's fantasy stuff in a D anD d world and they only go up to level 10 but the levels are much wider that bit in itself is not so interesting it's experience system gives you little stages along the way it's got some little fiddly bits it's it's cool for what it is the bit that i really liked in the book though was one of the suggestions that if you just want to get on with it just level up after every session and play a 10 session campaign where you genuinely go from zero to hero at a really rapid pace because at level ten, you're you're virtually demigod status, and you really are movers and shakers, and you'll be taking down empires, that kind of stuff. And at level one, you are fighting goblins, lots of goblins, and cool goblins at that. But and that pace, I don't know if people do that, but that's the kind of thing that interests me now. Because actually, a ten session game, I'd consider that quite long yeah. these days, because I'd probably want to go and play something else after ten sessions of anything. I'm I'm kind of interested in playing on fast forward, as it were. What do you think? Would you you be tempted by something like that in Savage, where maybe you went up a a rank every game?
1: Yeah, I could do. It feels a little bit too fast for me, I think. I like that D&D seems to fit. Um, I don't know. I think I want to kind of... You pitch at a level, don't you? I I quite fancy playing um, a game of Rain or something like that, another one-roll engine game, but that's one where you're all pirate princes or you're all, you know you are big movers and shakers and the game is based around that and it has these company rules for how your pirate fleet or how your principality does or whatever else, that kind of thing. I think if I wanted to Mm. play that kind of game, I'd prefer to play six sessions of that rather than start out as D&D room sweepers moving up to somebody who had his own pirate fleet Uh, because they they sound like radically different games. So while it would be interesting to do I think Mm. for me I'd like to know what the conceit of the game is and have a go at that thing rather than change the game from week to week.
0: But that's just personal preference, yeah. So, no, that's that's my preference too. That's that's how I currently play my games. I, I try and look for the tiers within the game, which might not be immediately obvious. And I suppose you would just categorize them as low level, mid level, high level. And even in a game like Feng Shui, there's 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 other levels of game beyond the just having gunfights in bars, there's the whole netherworld stuff, and demons, and Feng Shui sites. So, I think every game has levels, even if they don't call them out as such and I, I i don't really necessarily always want to start with the baseline activity anymore no. with games and, and 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 i see that still a lot of cons as well where you will essentially be first level no matter what the <laughs> game you're playing because i don't know whether it's just easier to write for arguably it is it's certainly easier to do pre-gens for but I you know I fancy playing some D anD D that starts at level twenty, just for a couple of sessions. You know, just playing the planes and all the really big stuff and be fighting dragons, not having to spend a year working up to that. Uh, and and whether or Knights Black Agents, you know, I want to be taking down Nosferatu and going after Dracula in his castle in the first six sessions, not in the first thirty six sessions or whatever it is it takes to get to that sort of thing. Yeah. and I, I'd appreciate that that might be a minority view because I I, I know there's a big old democracy of gamers out there who, or proportion of gamers who really like the idea of what they call slow burn stuff. But I think that's probably on a day to day basis. But I think the stakes could be higher for games. And I, and I kind of I regret not getting to play in the upper reaches of some games over over the years because I just move on to something else after time. Everybody does, mm. don't
1: they? Yeah, no I think you're right. Uh certainly for me it's probably Delta Green was the one that's always like these massive conspiracies. And you want to peel away layers of the onion and slowly let things out, but more times than not, that you know those sort of campaigns have just fall on the grass after a while because people move away or whatever mm. else, and you play ten sessions, not reveal very much, and all the cool stuff you've read in the book, you haven't got to reveal to any of the players because you didn't get that far. So yeah, I've definitely got as we've got older and times got uh, harder to get hold of to actually do gaming. I like that acceleration more, uh, but that's not necessarily about. Mm. Having experienced characters in inverted commas, is just more about the story
0: and the level you play, isn't it? Really, um, potentially, anyway. definitely, yeah. And it's not about being gonzo either. It's not about being over the no. top or, or or stupid. It's just about having getting to the meat of the game. If if when you read a, a role play game and and you look at the setting. And and very often, you know, all the cool stuff happened ten thousand years ago. <laughs> but but wouldn't it just be good to get to the cool stuff a bit quicker? Because I think there is still a built-in assumption you have to kind of work yeah. for it, and the game only kicks in after ten sessions. And that, that that's still true of, of stuff like Apocalypse World, where where the received wisdom appears to be, you've got to put in a dozen sessions before it gets. I, I, I'm not going to say good, <laughs> I don't know, but maybe that is the case. <laughs> better, maybe it gets better. Um, but yeah, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm now of the opinion, mate, and after this chat, especially with some of the stuff you've talked about with like negative levels, I just think I want to see change from session to session. But it's not necessarily on on a slow curve moving upwards inexorably to to demigod status. That change could be getting worse at some things from session to session but I just want to see movement both in character and in the campaign world yeah. and probably quite chunky movement too like a cut scene to like you know a year later when you're in the monastery because you're still crying over something you did in the scenario last year <laughs> just move things forward at a bit more of a pace between sessions that's yeah that's quite interesting um, I had a game at was it Conception or
1: IndyCon not last time well the last time I went which was the time before the the most recent incarnations uh, with a guy called Todd Furler who runs games in the US because he's American so why wouldn't yeah. he um, unknown armies but he, he's um, <laughs> crazy he's very very aggressive in scene framing. and I can tend to be but he, he just took it to another level really it he, he was just kind of a series of scene and finished it's a okay that's all I've got here um, so now it's 8 o'clock the following morning and this is the situation and someone's just walked in and that's happened what do you do about it kind of thing uh, And yeah your idea is sort of like just taking that kind of thing of cutting out all the faff that you'd normally do and moving straight on to the next interesting mm. bit, but doing it at a more macro level. And I, yeah, I do, yep. I do like that kind of, you know, a year later, what's happened and uh, where are we now? And what's the next crunch point? You don't need to go through all the, mm. the minutiae of let's go shopping for potions and all that kind of stuff. Let's assume all that happened. You're now in a dungeon mm. hanging from a cliff or whatever, that sort of thing. You know, move it on to the next interesting bit
0: and have cool stuff happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Flashback if you have mm. to, you know, where you've got the grizzled old war veterans sitting around a tavern table, and and as you go around the table, each one of them says a story from the past. You could you could nominally have like tenth level characters on the table in front of you, but then you whip out a second level version of it just for the, just for an encounter, just for one encounter, and you're not going to die, but you just go backwards and forwards and and just have some momentum in the game that is. Perhaps uh you know, it just uses it uses everyday narrative devices from books and films and whatever, where you can just speed up, slow down, go forwards, go backwards, go sideways, tell a story from someone else's perspective completely some retainer in your party gets the spotlight for the next week. And maybe that's something that could be done by multiple GMs, and maybe that's something that could be done across a con quite well, where you just have like multiple perspectives and and a slow and fast time. Um, because just for just for interest's sake, just have things change.
1: Yeah, that is quite cool. I've often thought with the Pendragon of doing a separate set of characters, having the um the squires and having the knights and doing one mm. session of the, the knights and then sort of rerunning it, but with the squires as the player characters and that sort of thing. I think that's mm. really quite interesting. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I don't. Know. There's got to be more to advancement than hit points, yeah, hasn't it? Got it
1: really to... has. And of course that was the the classic about Pendragon Is that eventually you retire at knight and start playing your own son Or your squire or something like that And then you sort of restart again So the, the game world's all moved on mm. And the history books have changed and all the rest of it And you've got all these great deeds But you're now a different character but in that same world And you kind of all carry on from where the other guys left off But you're sort of resetting your power level And what experience and deeds your knight has done And you kind of got to live with the shadow of all the stuff your dad did he's doing or whatever else that kind of stuff so I quite like that element that you can sort of you don't necessarily get to level 30 in inverted commas and then that, that's it you retire your character and start a new campaign you can carry on the old campaign world you're just taking a different perspective on it from a different character
0: uh, and like with so many things mate Pendragon got a lot of stuff very right mm-hmm. didn't it it was the you know uh, at a very very early stage in the hobby's progression it's, it's basically you know it's Game of Thrones owns a lot to it yeah. perhaps I think that kind of dynastic stuff Ars Magica is another perhaps uh, game of a similar vintage that just does stuff with time and has multiple party members from from the stable boys to the sword companions to the, the wizards themselves and, and works in years instead of six second rounds on occasion um, that's, a, that's a game that I would love to get my teeth into and have never managed and, and never will because you, there's a huge investment of time and, and money and, and, and all the rest of it but yeah I think I'm genuinely more interested in that sort of advancement from my games than, than necessarily just starting at level one and moving up. Although, you know, that's easy, it's classic, and there's still a kind of visceral enjoyment in leveling up, which I think will probably never go away. Yeah, quite right. I do like I tend to find, yeah,
1: certainly in Savage Worlds, stuff like that, people are more interested in getting a new edge. Like you say, it's putting that new line on the character sheet rather than having better skills necessarily, although that does come into it. Yeah. It's about being able to do something else, kill, cool or having a different contact or something. I think that's kind of a new, new kind of like notch on the bedpost or a new, you know, story to tell around the the campfire or whatever it is. It's that that more that kind of element to it. I think people mm. tend to enjoy these days. Although, you know, Pathfinder and all the rest are still massively popular, and people are happy to level up and kill
0: monsters and take the stuff, which is perfectly fine too. All right, well, we've we've killed this podcast and perhaps taken it stuff. I don't know how many XP we got for it, but if it's enough to give us another episode next week or next fortnight i think we'll count that as a win mate shall we yep and uh, as
1: always friends and listeners uh, feel free to add in your suggestions come up with stuff we've missed or you want to tell us about uh, and of course most importantly we need to know was it me or baz that was the best podcast this week
0: and gets the extra experience point give me a penny. give me a penny. <laughs> thanks for now cheers everybody see you next time